Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. Uh, this will be a Nullcast unlike any other, and the fact that uh, we're kind of entering into the off season at a different period of time uh, for us, and a little bit of uh, new territory for the all of those that follow the program, and kind of come into the very realization that uh, recruiting is uh, now the number one focus. There will be no bowl game, and we'll just try to make sense of a season that was. Uh, heavy on kind of disappointment had a couple medium peaks but for the most part was uh, one that was at times hard to make sense of so bud uh look forward to kind of exploring all that was the 2018 season and giving people an idea as to maybe how things project moving forward looking forward to it man uh first let's thank our sponsor uh louisiana hot sauce louisiana hot sauce has always been with us uh throughout and uh much more consistent than fsu's football team unfortunately in fact, I've got a bottle right here on my desk because I was working uh, all day today, as I know it's your busy season as well, and had some with my lunch. So it uh, should be a pretty pretty hot show tonight. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one great taste. So we had so many questions coming from listeners, and this has always been sort of a listener-driven show. We, we, we try to make sure we answer intelligent questions that are, are you know seeking legitimate answers. And uh, I, I think that the, where we should start tonight, a lot of people are wanting, like, what, what's going on in the program right now? Because they're not getting ready for a bowl game. <laughs> Uh, and what they're doing, actually, uh, number one, they're recruiting. They're out on, out on the road recruiting. I, I think tonight they went to see Kayvon Thibodeau and, and uh, the number one defensive end in the nation, and, and they, they still think they have a shot at him. Uh, you know, I asked a, a source, I was like, all right, a lot of people think this kid's going to Oregon. Why why are y'all still recruiting him? You know, because it, it did, did seem like there was a big-time momentum shift there, although now uh, maybe some some strife with, with Cristobal and, and – uh, and, and Levitt there, the, the defense coordinator at Oregon and, and the head coach. And, you know, with, with Cristobal's name or uh, Levitt's name rather being bandied about for other positions, like maybe the Colorado head coaching job, maybe there's an opening there. And, and the answer I got was, well, he still contacts us at Florida State. He still texts and calls us. So you don't invest all that time in a kid. If he's still in contact with you, you still try to recruit him. You, you still try to pull it off, especially a kid that good. On the one hand, they're recruiting. On the other hand, they're conducting exit interviews, right? Willie Taggart wants to let all these players know, and also the coaches, uh, but the coaches will come second. He wants to let every player know individually you know, wh- where they stand. And they, they did this in the spring as well. What does an exit interview consist of? Well, they they sit down and they look at your your academics with you. They, they look at your uh, behavior with you inside of the program, You know whether you have uh, penalty points and, and demerits, so to speak. They look at your attendance for team meetings and – team dinners and all that kind of stuff. Your play on the field. They go over, wh- where do you project within this program, right? And so that if you do want to transfer, let's give you a, a good baseline for here's what you can kind of expect playing time. Here's where we see you. Now, you can improve. Certainly, you can get better. You can earn more playing time. But this is kind of where we see you with your role. And I think there are going to be some kids who are going to be told, hey, you're not going to play here. We would strongly suggest that you transfer out. And there'll be certain kids who they're probably going to say, hey, don't transfer out. We still believe in you. We want you to be a part of this program going forward. But you know, this is going to be part of the sort of uh, attrition process that they're going to have to go through here because they, they got to flip this roster. And they, they got to get some of the some of the kids who just haven't bought in out of this program. And you know, I'm, just, I'm just looking at this. There's a lot of candidates here who might not be around next year, man. I mean, a, a whole lot of them. I just think there's a lot of stuff on this roster that's that's not good from a, a mental and an effort standpoint, you know? And then we'll talk about this throughout tonight. 
why it is this way, how much is Willie's fault, how much is this not his fault. And I, I think there's various answers to that. But I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you the list of seniors, okay, who are, are coming. These are seniors to be. I want you to just count silently in your mind, and I'm not going to name them, but just in in your head, how many of these guys do you think will not be here next year? DeAndre, Amir Rasul, George Campbell, Keith Gavin, Nasir Upshur, Gabe Neighbors, Cole Minshew, Abdul Bello, Brian Burns, Adonis Thomas, Josh Brown, Dontavious Jackson, Levante Taylor, Kyle Myers, Aguayo, and Tyler. A lot of either uh, yes, maybes, or even a few hell yeses uh, as far as uh, the idea of those guys probably not being on campus anymore. That's a crazy list of names that you read, and some for good reason. Some of them have played at a level that they'll uh, make themselves eligible to cash rather large checks. Uh, that's probably only one guy that you read off there, but uh, it's just a disappointment as far as what that class ultimately turned out when you go back and look at it, but also a lot of kind of expendable pieces and guys that uh, would be great if they ever kind of reached the surface or it'd be great rather if they ever reached the ceiling but as far as where their potential there's been no real development or betterment uh, in a lot of those guys periods of time within the program so yeah there's a there's a lot of a lot of weight that could be cut from the program and a lot of kids that could uh, find themselves living somewhere other than Tallahassee next year. I mean, I've got, I've got six out of that group that, that, that I think are, are, are going to be gone. And I'll tell you what, here's another question. How many leaders are in that group? I'll read it one more time. DeAndre, Amir, George Campbell, Keith Gavin, Nasir Upshur, Gabe Neighbors, Cole Minshew, Abdul Bello, Brian Burns, Adonis Thomas, Josh Brown, Dontavious Jackson, Levante Taylor, Kyle Myers, Aguayo, and Tyler. Because I'll tell you what, I've got zero. I have two. I don't think any. I don't think any of those guys are leaders. I think a couple of those guys are fake leaders on social media, but I don't think that they are the type that are actually good leaders. And I'm getting this from guys on this staff, by the way. They they, they see they they chuckle at this stuff that these guys put on social media about how this will never happen again. I'm not going to allow this. But they're like, yeah, but this guy he wants to be too cool with his buddies. He won't actually get on him. He's not the kind of guy that will go and rap on your door if he notices you're you're, you're missing a team meeting over there in the dorms. I don't think any of those guys are good leaders. Good leaders and leaders are, are different things. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know. I'm not on the team. I don't know what uh, ultimately what you get out of Brian Burns, but that guy to me appears to be. Well, but I think Burns is gone. That's fair. You're right. Yeah, he's almost certainly gone and good for him. He's played well. I hope that guy makes, you know, he's got a, a unique skill set. I don't know exactly how he'll project at the next level, but I hope his first NFL check's a good one. He's played at a level that allowed him to get paid, but... Uh, I don't know how good of a leader uh, Dontavious Jackson is, but I, I know that he at least sees himself as a leader. Other than that, I don't have to think. Tw- so look, if we have a disagreement, you say zero, I say two. There's st- <laughs> we're still talking and about one's sixteen not be players here. or however many you so just listed. It's really one versus zero, unless you think Burns is going right. to be back. Well, no, I, I was just more looking about the experience of this season, and not as much as projecting towards. Uh, towards the future but you're right as far as guys that are on the on the roster and have a chance to shape the program in my opinion maybe the biggest leader that you have is is number 20 on defense right now and and as far as what what that unit looks like moving forward so a lot of the guys that appear to be leaders are really some of your youngest players exactly man like it we see a lot of these guys on social media this will never happen again oh this pain all this other stuff you know what that's not what they need 
Because some of those guys actually drew really try hard, but they need the guys who don't think they're too cool to call out their teammates and say, hey, if you're not doing your film study, you need to do it, man. If you're not coming prepared, you need to be prepared, right? You, you can't skip a workout, which is something like I think they actually had pretty good workout attendance this offseason. That's something they, they got to maintain for the coming offseason, that kind of stuff. It, it, and you need some of your better players to be your leaders. 20, you know, w- would be is he's going to be a really good player, I think, but he's also a true freshman. That That's not cool. It, it's also not a good thing when, when your quarterback is really tight with a lot of the troublemakers on the team and he won't get on them. You know what I mean? If he if he's not willing to call those guys out consistently, that's not a good thing. If if one of your most vocal leaders is Alec Everly, who's a bad football player, that's not a good thing because other guys on the team laugh at him. They don't actually respect him. They talk behind his back. Been a problem. Been a problem for three years now. That your your biggest leader on the offensive line is is not a good player. Is your worst player? Not on a good offense, player at or all. Was at least until yep. this year. This is the thing. They've got to have some of their better players step up as as leaders for this coming season. It's it's a big deal. And I, I think this is something Taggart's gonna have to get across to them in these exit interviews. You know, I mean I'm just I'm trying to think about who on this team, you know, could become a leader. Is, is can Cam become a leader? You know, I assuming he's here and doesn't transfer out. I don't know. We'll see. You know, it Dickerson is is always been you know is always is always injured. Um you know Marvin Wilson I think is a guy who actually could be on defense because he plays hard and he's actually good. You know, maybe maybe Dontavius takes that next step. I think it's possible. I'm not going to write him off as a lost cause, but maybe he becomes a you know a, a real leader who holds others accountable too, as opposed to just leading more by example this year. You know, may, maybe that's Stanford Samuels that does that, even after that personal foul penalty. I, I think the potential is there. But yeah, you're right, man. A lot of your a lot of your better leaders, I think, leader types on this team. Are, are your underclassmen. That's not a good recipe. Um, I don't claim to know the kid. Uh, I don't know what, you know, type, but wouldn't wouldn't shock me if Samuels Jr. is or not. Uh, uh, Asante. Asante is, is one of your bigger leaders moving forward as well. I mean, kid certainly seems to have the persona and a whole lot of want to be a player. Uh, I would, I would expect, I mean, look on defense, I think you've got a couple candidates. You've, you've got a defensive tackle. Uh, you've got a guy at linebacker who, at least wants to be a leader. It, it would appear. Again, I, I don't claim to know, you know, what goes on in the player lounge or anything else. But uh, and then you've got a couple kids in the secondary that might be able to project leadership. Uh, offense is the area that just looks at you straight in the face, and I have a very hard time projecting anybody that's a good enough player that's going to take the mantle of leadership. And leadership is a uh, you know one of those things that sometimes is hard to absolutely classify and examples of leadership vary from team to team program to program but you've got to have it and you've certainly got to have it in this period uh of time where we're we're coming up and and look it's gonna be a long time before the next game and a lot of a lot of time within this program that's not going to be dictated fully or at least fully monitored by the coaching staff and a lot of uh a lot of the change if there's going to be change with the direction of this program is uh, going to have to come from from people that are on the existing roster who maybe didn't necessarily commit to play for this coaching staff. Exactly. You know, I I had a call tonight with, with a buddy who, who's a scout at another school and, and a pretty good school, and I asked him. I said, you know, what? Why are you taking this player in their recruiting class? Because they they can pretty much pick whoever they want. And he's like, man, because this is a 4.0 kid who's good enough. He's a yes or no sir kid. 
He's going to bust his butt. He's always going to be on time. He's going to show up. Look, is he ever going to start for us? No. But he's a kid who won't drag others down. And in fact, I think he'll actually push our better players to help reach that potential. And so I got into this conversation with him tonight. I was talking about this. I was like, so it sounds to me like in taking him, you're ensuring your floor for the program. You know, you have ceiling players, guys who are kind of wild cards, right? Who have all the physical potential in the world. And you got to have a good number of those guys because otherwise you're just not going to have enough athletic talent on your football team. But do you have enough good kids, enough good people in the program? Willie Taggart said that you know, he didn't have turds like, like, like people told him. And I know for a fact people told him that some of these guys were turds or in, in, in so many words. I know the people who told it to him. But I was talking to my buddy and he's like, yeah, look, we, that's the thing because you can sign all these guys with these real high ceiling potentials but you get them together, and sometimes they drag each other down. You need to have that good mix of people who, you know, who they're like, man, if I don't if I don't work hard, I might actually lose my spot to this guy who's not as talented as I am. Try hard Williams over there, who's uh, at every meeting and in the weight room before I am every time and everything else. Yeah, you got to have guys, and you got to have guys that kind of don't let the collective uh, focus or buy-in or whatever else slip. I mean, it's a great analogy of the. Of the of the floor, you, you've got to have that base level, and it really does, at times, help to uh, keep units from falling into a level that's uh, just wildly unproductive and just a, a thing that various aspects of the program appears to have suffered with uh, one or two units that have just kind of been been lost and uh, not had a whole lot of buy-in in the room whatsoever. You know, and I look at that that again that that upcoming senior class that Florida State's going to have, and I don't see many of those guys. Maybe a couple, man, but not many. You know, like it's all in your underclass rank. So, you know, Willie's got to figure that out in these X interviews, and I think he needs to to send a message and and maybe one. And I know we can you know talk about that in a minute here. Actually, maybe a message that should have been sent earlier, and and we'll, we'll get into that. But I I think there needs to be kind of a thing here, like, hey, we're, we're not going to tolerate you being lazy for four years. Like 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 that's that's not okay. And I need you, my leaders, to, to help enforce this kind of stuff over the summer. And, and we'll see if anybody steps up to do that or if they're just, you know, if these guys are just guys who, who like to just say they play at Florida State because there's a lot of perks that come with that. You know, there was a former defense coordinator here who was overheard in practice yelling, you know, do you guys want to play? Like, like, like do you want – do you are you here because you love football or are you here because you, you, you kind of – you just want to say you, you, you play at Florida State and you want to hook up with girls and – he phrased that a little bit differently, but I, subject I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, subject he knew one or two things <clears throat> are, about himself. Are you here? Yeah. Are you here to do this, or are you here to just just do that? Yeah. Take this time to thank our uh, sponsor, the For the Table Restaurant Group. Been with us since the first episode of the Nolcast that was ever published, and uh, just a fantastic partner for us and a, a fantastic addition to the experience that is being a Florida State Athletics fan. Obviously, uh, being in the shadow of Doak Campbell Stadium, as we're fond of saying, and their proximity to Doak, it's uh, kind of a meshed experience with a football game as could be. For me, when I think of Madison Social, I think a lot about watching a basketball game or a, a late night road game or anything else and it'll certainly be a fantastic spot for uh, you the Tallahassee listenership to uh, experience this basketball season just a, a great partner three different locations right there in College Town with Centrale Township and the flagship Madison Social so ask that you keep our uh, our friends in mind and as we transition from one sport to another uh, fantastic to always be able to lean on the people of uh, the For the Table restaurant group and the experiences that they offer. 
Absolutely, man. Whether it's a great burger at, at Medso or Cold Beer at Township, uh, be sure to get down there and support our sponsors whenever you're in town. Uh, okay, so transitioning here real fast, I guess. Can we talk about these offensive line grades? Because it, it's like hilarious <laughs> and sad at the same time. And It is. It is. And they're oh, not perfect, uh, but they're close enough for us to have a real good laugh at because uh, if we thought about it too seriously, our, our emotions might go in a, a different direction. I mean, it's just woefully pathetic, and it is a... Uh, a real hard, stark reminder as to how just horrible this whole uh, this whole experience was with the the 2018 Florida State offensive line. All right, so let, let's set this up then. Uh, these are, are, are grades somebody sent us a screenshot of uh, on on Twitter, and it's been passed around to emails and whatnot. These are from the uh, Pro Football Focus grades, I believe. Uh, now, look, I don't think Pro Football Focus is that great for college. Actually, uh, I don't think they get the all 22s at, at last check, and that's a big deal. They definitely don't know what the play calls are, so it's not like they get the you know the coaches tape where, where they have the uh, jet right wide cross type stuff on there where we actually know what the play is and know what the protection is, and they don't adjust for opponents, and I think that's a big deal because Florida State played ten bowl teams this year, including two of the playoff participants, unless Clemson screws up this weekend against Pitt, which I doubt. That's a murderous schedule, and especially if you're trying to make a bowl. Like if you're an average football team, this was a really tough schedule. By the way, remember that Tennessee email we got a couple weeks ago? They, they, they lost uh, by a bunch to Vanderbilt. So 836 linemen in the country qualified for this. You had to play a minimum number of snaps. Now, there are only 130 teams in the nation, so that's about six and a half linemen per team. So Florida State, number one, having eight guys who qualified here says a lot about how many different dudes they had to play anyway. Florida State had the two worst offensive linemen in the entire country. Juwan Williams, 836. Abdul Bello, 835. That's unbelievable. The two worst players in the entire nation played significant snaps for this team, according to the grades. Now, look, I don't. I, I think it's pretty safe to say worse than a power five. If you stick this offensive line in the Sun Belt or in the Mountain West or, or in you know Conference USA, I don't think fans are in an uproar about it because they're just not facing you know quality defensive linemen hardly ever. 827 was Brady Scott. You're talking about three of the seven worst offensive linemen in the nation starting on one line. 791 was Arthur Williams, which, hey, not a total surprise because at least, you know, Arthur was a defensive tackle up until like a couple weeks before practice. 750 was Derek Kelly. That's still 750th best player in the nation was your your fourth best lineman. Yeah, you're still talking, what, bottom 10th percentile or whatever? Yeah. 547 was Mike Arnold, probably because he more than like usually blocked the right guy or at least attempted to, although he's really slow. 542 was Alec Everly, your senior. Like I said, guys on the team didn't respect him with, with this, you know, rah rah leadership stuff because they knew he wasn't any good. And 429 was Cole Minshew. Think about this. Four State's best lineman, according to this, was not in the top half or even in the top like 60% of all linemen. That was their best. They had three of the worst seven in the nation, including the worst two. When I say, and I wrote this on Tomahawk Nation this week, that if Florida State could improve to below average on the offensive line next year, that would be a massive improvement. And I'm not kidding around, folks. Here are the numbers if you like these. And for because I'm making this argument, I do. <laughs> Back my argument up. This is god-awful. They were much worse than bad. This is why I lead every single podcast with this. Even though it's the same message every week, it's still true. This is ridiculous. I mean, that is just beyond horrible. And it's one reason for hope, I think. 
Because it wouldn't surprise me if you had five completely different starters next year from what you started in this game. Now, I think Brady Scott has a chance to be a starter at a position, not offensive tackle, because I don't think he's a tackle. I think he was playing out of position and probably too early. That's a kid who I think you brought in to start as a year three player, not a year two player. So maybe there's some hope there, but good God. The worst two in the country? <laughs> three of the worst seven? Or, say, four of the worst uh, 40. None so, in the top 60%? Four of the worst 50, excuse me. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just uh, incredible. Five of the worst 86. I mean, you know, this you can have fun with numbers here. Or you can not have fun with numbers because, like, these are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or you can start crying. You know, who knows? Take it one way or another. You know, we, we talked about balancing a minute ago, right? Balancing the, the floor players with the ceiling players. And it's definitely my opinion that FSU does not have enough floor players, enough good character kids on this team who do the right thing, but who also hold each other accountable and push each other with their actions, you know? I think there's too many kids on this team who are too concerned with being cool, you know? And and they don't get on each other. And you do need some guys who are okay to get on each other, but they also got to be your good players. But I also want to talk about a, a, a coaching decision here that, that maybe didn't help reinforce, you know, s- s- some of those ideas, right? And that was the decision to play for a bowl game. Look, I can't sit here and tell you that that was absolutely the wrong decision. I can tell you it didn't work. They didn't make a bowl game. Now, they were only one game away, and you know certainly there were some games that were closer that, that they, they probably you know, could have won, most notably the Miami game, maybe if they get that call with DJ Matthews. But at the same time, man, as a listener pointed out to us, thank you, uh, Jonathan Brimetime, Noel on Twitter, he said, hey uh, – you guys said that, that they were most likely going to go 5-7 and seven after the Syracuse loss, and you really didn't see a, a great path to a bowl game. Shouldn't Willie have seen that path as being really tough and, and gone with the youth movement right then? And, and I don't know that he's wrong. Yeah, Willie should know this team better than we know this team, even if we've been covering it longer than he's been coaching it. You're a play away. You know, look, if, the, if you win the Miami game and everything else stays the same, you know, we've moaned about it, and I've mentioned this specifically a couple weeks ago, it's a major deal. It, it changes the way you look at the season and changes the way some in the fan base respond to this. But you didn't win the Miami game. And also, two coaching decisions in the Louisville and the Boston College game were instrumental in you winning those two games. Now, the Boston College game, you probably deserve to win based off the level of play throughout the course of the game. But you were still very much aided by Adazio's decision to uh, to try to draw you off sides and then ultimately punt. And if Petrino isn't being a way overly aggressive and uh, and too smart for his own good, you, you don't win the Louisville game either. So, yeah, you can say you were a bad call away. You can say that uh, you're a play away from from qualifying for a bowl game, but you were you know close to flirting with uh, three and nine as well. So, I won't fault Willie for playing for a bowl game. I think it's uh, what you have to do when you come to a program like this it's had as much sustained success as it has as we noted a couple weeks ago I think it's even more the case when you're a kid who grew up in Brayton Florida and even more familiar with the program and the state and you're not just somebody that moved into a job you have an idea as to the uh, importance that's placed on the long history of uh, continued success but ultimately it was a it was a failure and uh, it's something that leaves you in a in a place where you had a very disappointing year and not only did you have a very disappointing year you have to kind of wonder how much you restricted the growth of some of the players and how much you really got out of this year with the decision to to try to play a bowl game and I think there's a a much broader question or a much broader 
discussion that we can have here that it's not black and white. It's not very clear cut. There's just a lot of decisions that were made for various reasons, and maybe not all of them were totally in line with each other or totally in line with the the message that we heard throughout the course of the summer. So I, I think that's just it, right? If you go for the bowl game and you make it, it's like, whew, all right, cool. You know, like we, we had a real disaster of, of a personnel situation, most notably at O-line, but, you know, linebacker and safety, they were, they were not looking real good either. But because you missed and went for it, you also, I, I agree, I think you failed to, to get out some of the troublemakers in this program. You know, I, I think that was a, a big thing. But you also, I, I think the other thing is like in the preseason, you didn't do much to tamper down expectations. This is an area that I will fault Willie, okay? Like 100%, I think that he could have done a much better job of, of telling the fans what we told the fans. Now, not in the same way, because we said, I think pretty early on in the preseason, hey, here's what we're hearing. If they stay healthy on the offensive line, they're going to be pretty decent. But, man, they can barely run practice with these backups. And if they lose a guy or two up front, start counting the losses because this could be a disaster. I mean, I think that was almost exactly verbatim what we said. I think if you're Willie, this is one thing because I, I listen for this carefully in almost each press conference and each media availability that he does. He didn't really start to mentioning that like, we, we knew offensive linemen, like we couldn't lose anybody there. He didn't really start mentioning that as, as like a frequent thing until about week three or four. And I think that's, I would definitely fault him for that because he built up the expectations here and he should be in the best position to know, hey, my backups suck. They can't play a lick. We can barely run a damn practice when we sub out our, our, our starters, right? Like Brian Burns is in the backfield knocking down every pass. It's it's hilarious. You know, look at some of the kids, like, like the clips that the kids put on their Snapchat and their Instagram. It's pretty obvious that these backups are horrendous and they're never going to be good and they're lost causes and can't play at Florida State. Now, look, I don't, I don't fault Willie for for not anticipating that Juwan Williams would have like mental meltdowns in games, and and you know because I think there's an element there where it's like okay, the old staff maybe thought this guy was a lost cause, and they did. But my staff has to give this guy a chance because clearly, athletically, he's got some talent. Now, maybe he's just broken and can't be fixed. But we got to try, and I don't think there's any way they would have known that he was going to do that because I don't think he did that in scrimmages. At least not from what I was told. But man, he definitely knew that their offensive line depth was was poor. And he knew that some of those guys that were playing up front were injury prone. And I'm not saying he could have done anything about the depth because I really don't think he could have. But he definitely could have said something, I think, in, in the preseason or emphasize this more. Hey, we have a chance to be good. But look, there's also some real trouble spots here to where if we get injuries, we're going to be in big trouble. If he had said that, and it wasn't just me saying that and a couple select other media members who didn't totally drink the Kool-Aid and kind of stuck with that eight and four range. I think the fans could say, all right, hey, at least we know this guy had a handle on his program. He knew what he had on his roster, right? You know, and he warned us about it. Now, we probably forgot that he warned us about it because I guarantee you most fans forget that we do. And they don't like you know hearing anything negative. But at least you'd go back and say, hey, man, look, we knew this was going to be the worst case scenario if this happened. Unfortunately, it did happen, then it happened game one. But, like, how, what level do you think you could have said? Because, like, Scott Frost, okay? Scott Frost goes, yeah, we lost again. And guess what? There's going to be a bunch more of them. So get ready. And that was in, like, week two or week three, I think, in Nebraska. And they didn't make a bowl game either. I mean, they, they were out of a bowl game by week six. Scott Frost is a little bit of a different situation, too. You're talking about a native son who – 
was college All-American and is the kind of the embodiment of what that program views as its high watermark. And uh, he's also a white guy who uh, is an accomplished coach and has a lot more leeway than I would say that Willie does with uh, with this particular fan base because of the details that I, I mentioned. I don't know that you could say that quite in the manner that he did. I, I personally think that Willie started to come to terms with the roster that he had and the team that he had, and he started making some decisions that maybe weren't totally in line with what he was otherwise saying about the program and, and the guys that he wanted to have be the, the building blocks as to what he was doing. I, I don't think if he thought that uh, he absolutely had to have that level of play, I, I don't think Nyquan Murray plays a whole lot for you, except Nyquan Murray can drive you crazy with the stuff he does, but Nyquan Murray can also, uh, you know, take one seventy-two yards against a ACC defense. Not a ton of other players on that roster can do that. I think that the choice built around choosing uh, DeAndre at quarterback was based off the realization that this roster was not as good as he thought it was and had some real significant holes in it, and you couldn't make the culture decision. You needed to make the on-field performance decision. And as far as who practiced best and uh, who projected, particularly with the idea that you had an injured quarterback who would, in theory, only become more mobile and uh, more efficient at what you ask of him over the course of the season, I think you chose a production choice rather than a a culture choice at quarterback. And that's uh, something that will be analyzed and talked about for a, a good period of time when Ultimately, you look back not only at year one, but kind of the broader uh, Taggart era. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. If he had, if the expectations had been been sort of uh, tamped down more in the preseason, do you think he still has to make the production production choices, or or maybe there's just not a level of tam- of tamping down that you could have done because this is Florida State. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine if Taggart said, "Hey, if we if we lose an offensive lineman or two, there's a real chance we can lo- we can miss a ball game." I mean, people would have been like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, like because I think a lot of folks like thought, "Okay, like this offensive line was all, was has always been horrible." When in fact, it's not always been horrible, not even close. I mean, there's been some years where it's been bad, but it's never been like even close to bottom half of the Power Five bad. I don't think it is interesting, and you're right with Scott Frost. He's a white guy that definitely makes a big difference, as we saw this week with, with that lunatic fan uh, who thankfully lost his job over that that ridiculous. You know, racist lynching meme that that he posted. You know, there's there's a lot of different pressures on on, on Willie like that. I, I think making the bowl game was an important goal and one that he fell short of. But you're right. I think in the pursuit of the bowl game, I don't think that they fully got out some of that culture that they wanted to get out. The other thing that I that I wonder about, and man, we could talk for a long time tonight about various things. But like, we talked a lot at the beginning of the podcast about player leadership and what's going to have to come from there. I think there's also got to be a player buy-in as to the the real coaching message. And if you're going to have things like penalty points and stuff like that, you know, there's there's certain guys on this roster. And I'm not I don't want to go into names, but there's certain guys on this roster that when they go out on the field, it's a coin flip as to whether or not they're going to get a personal foul. And you continue to see him out there. Uh, I think there's got to be a greater accountability, at least from afar. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not running steps at 5:45 in the morning or anything else. But from afar, it would appear as though there's got to be a uh, incredibly more focused level on accountability and decisions made on the field that put the the broader team message in jeopardy. 
Yeah, 100%. And I think that's something that could have been done if you were not playing for the bowl game, right? Like, I know there's some young players on this team who are, are, are pissed off at Willie and them for continuing to play these old guys. Like, like there, there's some that, that I think he's going to have to recapture. I'm not saying he totally lost him, but I, I think they're not secured in, in their beliefs in him because of that, right? Like, like, you know, there's supposed to be this culture change, and yet some of those some of the existing troublemakers, you know, were still playing, including at the quarterback position. You know, got a guy who, who skipped senior day last year to go Snapchat with a dude who was suspended for money order fraud. Here's a question, though. Do you think some of these guys fooled Willie? Like they said the right things and they, they acted the right way for, for a while, at least. You know, because he, he said he's, he made the comment about we don't have, you know, I, I was told that we didn't have these turds on this team. And maybe he really believed that. Maybe he had to say that to instill confidence. In these kids, I do believe he thinks that their fra- their confidence was totally fractured, and he said it a number of times, right? A lot of people think he needed to come in and be this, like, real bad guy. But, no, I don't think that would have necessarily worked, man, because there's a lot of guys in this team who are already pretty fractured, you know, psyche-wise, and they had just had a staff that didn't believe in them at all, a staff that literally quit on them midseason last year. So I, I don't fault him for taking the – you know, I want to build these guys up route. But clearly with some, it didn't work. So I guess, number one, do you think that there's some guys who fooled him? When do you think he knew? And and what do you do about that during the season as opposed to like in an off season? I think that, yeah, maybe there's some guys that fooled him. But I also think, uh, you know, coaches have a, a massive ego and a, a, a healthy amount of hubris with them. And I, I think also guys can think that they can change kids and if and if maybe think that they have changed kids. So I, I think probably some kids fooled him, and I think also just the general disposition of a lot of coaches lend themselves to maybe being more likely to believe that a kid's bought into a message when maybe he has, maybe he hadn't. When did it come abundantly clear? Not great radio slash podcasting, but I don't know. I won't feign to know. I imagine probably somewhere around game three or four. You know, the the idea uh, as to whether or not a kid fooled him, I think, is a valid one, and I, I think it's wise to bring up. But ultimately, it becomes the the responsibility, or at least, the you know, it falls on the shoulders of the guy that's being fooled. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you're getting, getting fooled by kids, they don't have to always go back in the game. I mean, they don't always have to be in a in a situation to get touchdowns called back or uh, personal fouls or whatever else at, at a time. You know, fool me once, I won't go uh, – won't go full George Bush with a quote there, but fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice starts to become my responsibility. Absolutely, man. I, I completely agree with that. I just I, can you can you boot guys mid season? You know what I mean? Can you? It, I, I I just think you're you're in a tough spot, and, and some of it due to circumstances, some of it due to the decisions you made, and, and he's gonna have to climb out of this hole now. Uh, that that he has w- with the fan base, and look, fans have short memories. They do. I don't think you can boot guys, but uh, I don't know. I mean, you can certainly not not play kids. There was a period of time where Keith Gavin was your most featured wide receiver on the team. Keith Gavin barely saw the field in in the last couple of games for whatever reason. I don't know what happened there, but certainly there was a significant shift in focus, and I think you could have done that with with some other offensive players. Absolutely. Um, you know what this fan base really needs, man? Yeah, they need a <laughs> they need a, a season where somebody doesn't cut, run up and kick them straight in the nuts. Uh, absolutely. Right out uh, of the gate. Like, they need an October. When's the last time Florida State had an October it enjoyed? 2016, they go and they lose in, like, record fashion to Louisville. And that team quits. 
Then they lose to North Carolina, and they have to sign promise notes on a damn Showtime special. Because you want to talk about, about like not evaluating your team correctly? And I think Willie did misevaluate parts of this team, or at least failed to, to warn the, the fan base about certain things uh, and, and, and tamper down the hype a little bit, at least with, with you know if they did have some injuries on the offensive line. Show also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. That's Resolution Home Loans. It's a proud Knoll-owned business. Chad and Shannon want to hook you up with the best possible home loan. They want to walk you through the process. They want to make sure they communicate well with you throughout. They want to get you the best possible rate. And, you know, I, I was just talking to them today, actually, uh, just about that. And, and as have a lot of our listeners, I think we're up to, to 10 or 11 now of our listeners ha- having gone through them for home loans in addition to, to numerous, numerous realtors now uh, who recommend them to their own, own clients and who need financing for a home or refinancing. So how do you get in contact with them? 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Jimbo in 16, yeah. allowing Showtime yeah. to come in. Yeah. If we ever do like <laughs> a like a two-hour Jimbo pod at some point in time, I mean, I, I will spend five minutes on that. I, I think that's one of the more clear moments of delineation as to somebody that just totally lost his own message and, and lost – what he was ultimately trying to do, but that's uh, probably a, a Patreon podcast, uh, you know, at some point way, way down the line. Yeah. In 17, Francois goes down, and then the hurricane hits. And then in 2018, obviously, we just had 2018. I, they, this program just needs to get to an October. Like, you're not going to win the ACC in the next couple of years because you're not going to beat Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence will beat you by multiple touchdowns each time he plays you. I just I think that kid's going to go down as the best quarterback in ACC history. But like, can you get to the October where, where games are still fun, where you're seeing a team grow and compete, and and, and where you're like you are, haven't had like a a monumentous loss or just just a ridiculous loss in September? That'd be that'd be neat. But let, let's let's get to some questions, I guess. Right? Or, or where, where do we need to go now? No, I think we can we can go to questions. I mean, look, look, let's just have a season that's uh, that has a moment or two. And the other thing that I'll just mention real quickly, man, there were three different games this season that I just turned it off. I just turned it off. I didn't want to. I didn't want to watch the rest of it. If I wasn't doing this podcast, uh, I'm as a lunatic about Florida State football as, as anybody out there. I, I've been a, a childhood fanatic for them. Uh, every high school football game I ever played, I played in one specific Florida State shirt. It was just my thing. I love Florida State football at a level that's hard for me to vocalize. You only get about 720 minutes of it. For all the talk that we do in August and all the reading of magazines and online content and message boards and everything else that we do and everybody else puts out there, you only get 720 minutes of live, actual, the product that you spend all this time focusing and and longing for. And for myself and others in the fan base to just be kind of so disheartened with the product that's put on the field that you're willing to just cut those minutes out and and not even absorb them, that's uh, that's something that this fan base doesn't deserve and and hopefully will uh, will be paid back on uh, on some of these rougher, leaner years that they've experienced recently. Absolutely. So to questions. All right. Before that, a real quick update. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. I think we would have tried to have baited the like kind of nullcast game day analysis podcast that we've talked about. It's it's never going to be like a play by play thing. 
we would be able to do an in-game pod where we hopefully enhance the experience. We want to make sure that we don't do an in-game pod at the uh, jeopardy of of the rest of the podcast and everything else that we've done. We're, we're kind of exploring uh, to make sure that we walk a, uh, a legal line here, but it is something that I just want to provide a brief update to all of you that have mentioned it. Honestly, Bud and I were, were humbled by the amount of interest uh, that might uh, exist for something like that. We're actively exploring it and and hope to have something in 2019. We, yeah, we we will. I think we'll do something with this in 2019. We had a couple hundred of y'all say yes to this. So if that's real, uh, then, then yeah, that's something I think we'll probably end up doing uh, for at least uh, a couple games. Question here: uh, Knowing what we know, how the season played out, would you rather Landon Dick, Dickerson rested the additional week for Louisville and played against Miami of Florida? Nice touch there. If he could play only one more game before his ankle self-destructed anyway, is his value above replacement enough for a possible win versus the still-not-backs? Nice. Uh, I, for one, would gladly trade a win over Louisville for beating the Big East champs. Well, I recognize that hashtag all wins matter, uh, particularly when uh, there are only five to be had on the season. Yeah, that's not very much. It seems to me like beating Louisville is like eating at the Olive Garden. Sure, I guess technically you're eating food, but wouldn't you rather go to Madison Social? I would. Yeah, if that was a choice, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt, right? Like you'd want him back for Miami. But, I mean, you also had a chance to lose to Louisville, which went 0-8 in the league, right? They didn't win a conference game, I think. Speaking of which, by the way, Louisville, welcome to the ACC, 21-19 and in your first five years in the league. That's not, uh, it's not quite the dominance that you had in the old AAC Conference USA American League, is it? That's... Uh, Remember that all, all that bluster they had when they came in and how it was gonna they're gonna take it over and how the ACC and, and the AAC are just the same. Well, it's been a rough period of time, you know. You've had some uh, basketball coaches do some interesting things in uh, restaurants. You've had uh, the, the <laughs> restaurants, yeah. The uh, pizza, the pizza uh, empire kind of crush uh, that that a lot of the programs built around and Louisville athletics in general just, just seems to be a. Uh, a beehive for for crazy drama, and uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly how that program kind of finds its its footing. A lot of uh, good people there, and a, a lot of uh, support, but also just a lot of crazy, crazy stuff that comes out of that athletic program. There, there's no doubt, man. All right, uh, number two. Unlike the, the great taste of Louisiana hot sauce, I was left with a very different flavor in my mouth after the season. Uh, ditto. Uh, while listening to a, another podcast, it was discussed about the lack of discipline on the team, specifically in regards to practice and pregame activities. It was said that practice didn't appear as crisp or as organized as any other FBS football teams. That I don't actually agree with. As for pregame, it was reported players were uh, playing around a lot, which I do agree with. Uh, for example, wide receivers attempting field goals and a QB playing cornerback as close to 90 minutes prior to the game. Although it did, I didn't play D1 football, I see this as a lack of concentration and preparation. Uh, I've been a witness to such uh, tendencies regarding players having too much control. If there aren't any strong leaders, this often goes sideways. I agree. Do you all think this was an issue? If so, do you think Willie can write the ship? Leadership can be challenging. There's a dichotomy of being too easy uh, and going too strict. Uh, I know Willie wanted to be different than the previous coach. I just hope he recognizes this, if this was the case, uh, and he makes the appropriate changes moving forward. I'm a huge fan of him and want him to be successful. Thank you for always keeping us well-informed and telling it like it is. Just an F- FYI, I've been a faithful listener for almost eight years. So I very much appreciate that, obviously. So I don't think practice is too lax, to be honest. I do think pregame, if you're going to play like this, which is bad, and get a 
be last in, in, in the nation in penalties. I think you, you do need to at least present a little bit tighter pregame look. Now, the, there is definitely an idea that like you don't want to come out too tight. In fact, I heard that was something that that guys were, you know, w- would struggle with under Jimbo. Like, why, why, why do we always start games so slowly? Number one, that wasn't always true. But number two, I do think at times they started games tight and it took them a little while to get into the flow of the game. Here, you might have guys starting the games a little bit too loose, but also you're not good enough to not be working on the things you need to work on in pregame. So they don't need to be like locked down before pregame, but I think don't have receivers kick field goals, just even joking around because it's a bad look when you go five and seven. That's kind of an image management thing that I would do if I was the head coach. Yes. Aesthetics don't necessarily translate to wins and losses, but there's a a lot surrounding this program from an aesthetic standpoint that could be uh, tightened up and a lot of things from an aesthetic standpoint that the fan base, I'm not sure they would be cool with, but wouldn't have a problem if you're uh, nine and three. But when you go five and seven and, you know, you've got guys that are trying to kick field goals at skill positions and offensive linemen running toss sweeps and everything else it's uh it's a it's a bad bad look and whether or not it actually translates as, as far as a team being too loose or whatever else you just can't do it and uh it's something that i would i would be curious and and expect a, a little bit of a different look next year yeah and i think there's, there's different times for it right like i don't have any problem with him swag surfing before the kickoff i think that gets gets the fans and the stadium into it that's pretty cool there's nothing you need to be doing right before the kickoff that doing that little dance hurts. I do think in pregame, you could probably use some more reps to, to make sure that you're locked into it. There's a time and place for everything. So that's definitely something to uh, to look at. By the way, this is not our, our note sheet, but did you see the uh, the stats I dug up on the uh, the penalties after Barrett uh, Salee's kind of... Uh, yeah, it was a selective... Interestingly uh, selective... selective. <laughs> Presentation Sweet. of information there. Uh, yeah. I did see that. Um, also, uh, he gave Willie Taggart an F on his coaching grades, the only one to receive one. And uh, very, very curious there from Barrett. Just, it's kind of weird. I, I can't put my finger on it why that is. But Barrett, uh, uh, Barrett, Barrett knows the Florida State fan base. I, Barrett and I aren't like best friends or whatever, but I, I know Barrett from afar. And uh, look, this fan base is one that's uh, is big. It's, there's a, I always say this. We try our best, and, and we do a hopefully a good job. But the reason why this podcast is so popular in large part is because the Florida State electronic fan base is massive, and it is active. And uh, it's real easy if you're a national sports writer to uh, to engage it. So I'm not sure that I would give Willie a uh, too much higher of a grade, but I'm not sure that uh, exactly what, what curve he was grading on other than uh, – one that he knew would would resonate with the fan base and have a have a few more look sees than than would otherwise. I pulled up Willie's stats. Right, he's actually in year one at Florida State. He was dead last in the nation in penalties. In year one at Oregon, he was dead last in the nation in penalties. Now look, this is actually not that far off from where these teams have been averaging recently, which is interesting. But still, dead last is dead last, and that's not good. That's not a good look. All right, so at USF he started second from last, literally. But I thought this was interesting. This is actually like both discouraging to me that he didn't find a way to have Florida State not end up dead last in the nation penalties in year one after having it basically happen to him twice at two other stops in his first year. But the encouraging side of this is that they actually got a lot better every single year, despite the fact that they were increasing the number of total plays that they would run 
every year. So in 2013, they were at 14.6 plays of penalty. So they were having a penalty basically once every 15 plays running their games, or actually a little more often than that. 20, 2014, 21.2. That's a huge difference, right? I mean, that, that from 14.6 to 21.2 is a big time drop off. Then 23.3, then 24.2. I don't really care if you're 100th in penalties or like 25th in penalties. I think where you get into trouble is it, it, and just kind of understand what I'm saying here. Like you want to kind of be in that like middle 70%, I would say. I think if you're way at the bottom, if you're in like the, you know, the, the 120s, the 110s, or even 130th, which is where FSU is, I think that's bad because you're probably doing a lot of way too much sloppy stuff. And I think if you're in like the top 20, that's also bad because you're not getting away with enough, you know, quote unquote, illegal contact. You want to be in that kind of middle 60 or 70 percentile, I I think, right? That, that, that middle range, which is a pretty big range. I'm very encouraged that USF did that. You got to hope that, that Willie Taggart will get this right next year with these guys, because certainly he didn't do it this year. And there were far too many penalties that were not beneficial type penalties to his team. The types of penalties matter. And when they occur, also matter. And his team this year was sloppy in too many areas. And that's not a thing that that's not winning football, right? All, all these, you know, alignment penalties, having to take timeouts for not having enough guys on the field. If you don't have enough guys on the field, take the timeout. I'm not faulting you for that, but I'm faulting you for not having enough guys on the field in the first place. You damn right I am, and I'm doing repetitively. Yeah, man, not having not having enough guys on the field as a high school coach and a special teams, you get fired after one or two times that happened. I remember that happened uh, in high school one time when I was a sophomore, and no, it was not. Uh, you know, different day and age of uh, as far as how coaches uh, address players and stuff like that. But no, that is not allowed. You can't field a team, particularly on special teams that doesn't have 11 people on it. And that's just standard operating procedure for us way, way too frequently. Absolutely. That's something they've got to fix next year. Now, it, it is very encouraging that, that he seems to improve every single year that he's had a program in that. Like 14, 15, and 16 USF, no problem with that. If you're committing a penalty, you know, once every 20 plays in the game, no problem. Fewer than every 15 plays, huge problem. That's not okay. So... Just something to watch. That's something we'll be watching early on to see when that number stabilizes next year. But, uh, but yeah, that that's not good. Bud and Ingram, how would you compare Florida State's lost years of development to the state Clemson was in circa 2010? I remember oh, – I remember exactly this. I remember the talk being that Clemson's S&C program wasn't modernized, and it really was really evident along the line of scrimmage. Is FSU's current problem due to the system or strength and conditioning program or just due to the lack of accountability to follow the system in previous years? A guy that I knew wrote an article that was kind of uh, one of the th- things that had this come to the come to the forefront with the Clemson fan base and – I remember in the press conference when Dabo was asked about this, he uh, he was like, no, no, that's not true. You read it on the internet, and the internet is the devil's playground, which is a hilarious answer to get from a coach at a press conference. But I remember this exact scenario that, uh, that our listener was referencing. I, I think there are definitely some similarities here, right? Like we knew that the last two years that, that the, the strength, conditioning, and development had, had slacked off. Your strength conditioning coach got a pretty public DUI dur- during the filming of 
of that Showtime show, yeah. right? Like, Not just a public one, a one that had quite the story attached to it too. Like, oh, uh huh. Okay, you're that's an interesting place to get a get a DUI at that time of night. Yeah, and you're with the Showtime crew, right? What wasn't that the uh, uh, potentially the, the angle on that. So uh, earlier in the evening, yeah, right, not, not necessarily when he got pulled over. I, I don't want to think that it was, you know, Vic and the crew driving driving through campus at night with the lights off or anything. But uh, yeah, so look, clearly th- th- they had had some issues with strength conditioning. I think Willie likes the strength staff that that, that he has here. I mean, he he brought it with him from USF to Oregon. They know this team is soft as hell. I think they were pretty disappointed about it when they got there. Now, Willie can't say that publicly, but privately, make no mistake, this has been expressed by people on the staff to people I know in the coaching business that this team is weak and soft, especially the guys who are already on there. It's probably going to take another year or two before you know they, they, they get this strength to where they want it. But yeah, I, I think it's somewhat similar to Clemson. Clemson obviously has a lot more resources than Florida State does in terms of what they can spend you know, how many strength coaches they can have, all, all, all those sort of, you know, guys who, who think of it like like class size, right? How much personal attention does each player get? You know, can Florida State employ an army of polo shirts? Not not necessarily, but they, they have to be find ways to be smarter about it. This is also why it's really important that you have leaders on your team who keep other guys in check. If you don't have a million polo shirts, because you got to be a little bit more like the Oakland A's than the Yankees, you need you need your players to buy in for that a lot more. So, I I think that's a good question. It's it's an interesting comparison for sure. It's a great point, but with the from the financial standpoint, that uh, the culture that you have surrounding the program only becomes that much more of an important thing. And that uh, you can't really put a price on player buy in, but when you're you know doing it with uh, without necessarily some of the checkbook of, of your rivals, that you you've got to make sure that so one part of your program that's absolutely healthy and it's the easiest way to negate some of the, maybe some of the financial hurdles that you have to try to clear. So uh, recruiting chatter here real fast, just looking at some stuff. Uh, Let's talk quarterback. Let's talk offensive line and let's talk uh, linebacker real quick here. So at linebacker, Florida state, they're they're going in home with with, with Kalen Deloach. He's, He's still committed, obviously Michigan and Auburn, are trying to get him. They are. He's already committed to Florida State. We'll see if they can keep him. I think they will, most likely. They already have Jaleel McCray, who's actually been one of their most vocal leaders as far as in the class trying to recruit other people on social media. You know, an interesting name is, is Derek Hall out of Gulfport, Mississippi. They had him in over the summer. He came back in again. You know, for a kid that everybody thinks is signing with the SEC, he, he does still seem to show quite a bit of, of interest in Florida State. And that's... Uh, that's a positive. I'm not saying they're going to sign him, but they, they haven't taken him off the board. So that, that, that's definitely a kid. They're, they're still monitoring. Maybe they can pull him. Also, have Lee Pogba, who, who's committed to Syracuse now. That's a guy that I think that if they wanted to flip, they probably could. I don't know exactly how high he is on their board. They're also a guy who's committed to Miami that I thought they should have been on earlier. I think this is a mistake the staff made. And, and Miami beat, beat them to him. And you know, look, he's a South Florida kid, so I get it. But uh, you know, Avery Hupp is, is a name that, that you know we know we talked about over the summer. Miami's kind of having some troubles right now. I definitely think they should be kicking the tires on him. See if you can get him up for a visit. I don't know if, if that'll happen, but that's – man, I, I think that they, they should have been on that kid because that, that kid would, would have been the best linebacker they signed, in my opinion. I like him better than Deloche and McCray, personally. They're on this Henry kid who is a junior college guy. 
He's, he's in Kansas. Uh, Lakia Henry, I think is how you say his name. He's committed to Tennessee. They're trying to flip him. And then there's an interesting name to check out, by the way, out of Plant City, Florida. A guy named James Gordon. And I've got a really good connection in, in Plant City. A dude that's been hitting me up in this business for about 10 years. And he always tells me when he's got a kid. And, and uh, remember the tight end, Larry Hodges, that went to Miami? I mean, he told me about Hodges when Hodges was an eighth grader. You know, and, and he's, he's always been very involved. And there's this kid named James Gordon who he likes a whole lot. I looked at his film. It looks pretty good. He had like 130 tackles as a senior. He told me, you know, he's like, Bud, this guy's a 4.0 student. You know, he's a legitimate player. Now, he's committed to Minnesota. And look, Minnesota does a good job scouting early, and they have to take chances on kids early. Because if Minnesota waits, they're never going to get anybody. So (laughs) they've got to go early on kids. This is not a thing where like Florida State should have been on this kid way before. It's just a thing where Minnesota has to take a chance on a kid like that before. But look. P.J. Fleck, we saw this last year down the stretch with, with, with Rashad Bateman, you know, and Florida State liked that kid. I think Florida State should, should have taken that kid and, and really, really tried to flip him. He, he set all kinds of records now up in Minnesota. And, in fact, was it was a friend of, like, Tamari and Terry and those dudes. But they took Keyshawn Helton, and Keyshawn Helton looks pretty good, too. So I'm not going to fault him big time for that. But last year, you know, with, with Fleck, we saw, you know, how he's constantly you know, telling his kids, hey, man, like, we're the ones that really want you. You know, we showed our trust in you early. That that, that classic sales pitch, which I, I think is really smart to do if you're at a program like Minnesota. But I, I do think that if you're you Florida also State, want to be selling selling your product in June and July, and not uh, getting in no kids to get them for a late official visit and the last weekend of January or something like that. Too. And that's but, when he got up there, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I I think he took one of the summer visits. Anyway, I I think that they uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they offered Gordon. And I would take Gordon. I, I think you should try to sign three high school linebackers and a junior college linebacker in this class. Because there's a couple kids in, in, in their linebacking core right now. Like, can you count on, on Zaquandre White to be here in a couple of years? I can't. He's not he's not proven that he can be a good team player. Can do you think do you think Kalen Brooks is ever gonna be anything? Because I don't. I don't think he can play at this level. Maybe after a couple more years of development, but man, small and slow is no way to go through life. So those are your two sophomores on the team. You have Amari Gaynor, who's a redshirt freshman. I think you need to take three high scorers in a JUCO. And I, I think that would be a good candidate. Obviously, they, they've been monitoring Jordan Rico as well. I think that's kind of it. Lock down Deloach. See if you can get a JUCO. And then, you know, go go take a look at uh, at James Gordon. That's a good film. I think you guys would enjoy that out there if you're the film junkies. With quarterback, look, they got Sam Howell locked in. Like we said, I think, last week that we thought Larry Fedora would be fired at North Carolina after all those ridiculous comments about CTE, like not existing and whatnot. And uh, we didn't really feel like that was much of a threat to uh, to Florida State for for Hal. Well, guess what? He got fired. And Hal's coming to Florida State. I do not think that they will take another quarterback before early signing day. It's smart to make sure that you get Hal locked in. Now, if they find somebody they like after early signing day, maybe they do that. I would go pursue a grad transfer kid. Personally, I, I think with this offensive line, you have got to have a quarterback who can run. I don't know that Francois is going to be here next year. I would go and, and, and try to get Jalen Hurts. Now, I don't think Jalen Hurts is a great passer, but you're not looking for a great passer. You're looking for a guy that can get you to eight and four behind this offensive line. That's something I, I think they need to really consider doing. So with quarterback, maybe you don't take another high schooler. Physically, it's not a very good year for quarterbacks anyway. Maybe you go Hal plus a grad transfer. I guess we'll have to see how that works out there. And then with offensive line, which I feel like is a position many people want to know about, they only have one commitment right now, which is bad. 
They're in on Evan Neal. I don't think you're going to get Evan Neal. I think Evan Neal is going to go to Alabama. They're in on Will Putnam. They could get Putnam. Now, Clemson is also in on him hard, as is Auburn. Auburn has had some turmoil go on recently. I don't know if you saw this or not, but they may be getting Gus Malzahn to agree to lower his buyout. Ingram, <laughs> under what circumstance would you agree for your buyout to be lower? Because i got to tell you, if they're like, hey, bud, lower your buyout or you won't be coaching here next year, yeah. I think I'd be like, yeah. no, F you. Either pay me my buyout or I will be coaching here next year. You know, maybe I just have an abrasive personality. But anyway, um, so you might want to use that in recruiting and note that uh, coaches who, who the school asked for their buyout to be lowered may not be there for the long term. Desmond Bland is a, is a junior college kid committed to Nebraska. They're trying to flip him. He'll be coming in on a visit, I believe. Dewan Jones is a guy we talked about a couple weeks ago. On Tom Lock Nation, I've got some film of him up in our offensive line piece. 6'8", 360. And... Watching norm, normal-sized humans try to defend him in basketball is hilarious. Anyway, he looks really good. He's a guy who I think could be a starter in year two. Like a lot of these guys I feel like are could start in 2021. I think he's a guy who could be a starter for you in 2020. Jay Williams is a kid they just offered, not offered, but but just got, got to come in for a visit. He, he's a junior college kid out, out of California. I don't think he looks great, but I do think he looks a lot better than like Juwan Williams or Brady Scott do a tackle. That could be an improvement. That, that's kind of what we're dealing with here, right? We're not; they're not going to be good on the offensive line next year. Can they get to below average, legitimately? Like that would be a, such a big improvement for them. The offense might start to look like what you think it should look like. And then I know they're still talking to Charles Turner. You know, Charles Turner's a guy. I, I agree with most of the staff's evaluations, but just like I did with the old staff, there are certain guys that I, I disagree with their evaluations. I would have pushed harder for Charles Turner earlier. I like Charles Turner, right? I saw Charles Charles Turner at Miami camp. Some of these guys, some of these South Florida kids who, who act a certain way, right? They've got that certain attitude to them, and they want to try to bully you, and they want to see if you're going to back down. And Charles Turner, I think he's an Ohio kid. I know he's a Mid- Midwestern kid. He's at IMG now. He wasn't having none of it, man. He got right back up and, get, and got in this dude's face and, and, and pushed him a little bit. And I was like, that's the kind of mentality you need on this offensive line. You, you need some of that on this team. You need some guys who, who are are fighters, not like post-snap fighters, but but who have some nastiness to them, you know, who, who have some want to. Maybe they'll be able to turn up the heat on, uh, on on Charles Turner. And, of course, you have Josh Ball, who we, we, we've seen some people say is going to be back. I don't know how anybody can say that confidently because I don't know what the university is going to say about that. Like, I don't know that that's an athletics decision. That might be a, a university decision, you know, a, after he was suspended from school for a year. He's at a junior college. But if he comes back, he's a day one starter. There's no doubt about it. You know, if he served a suspension and they let him back in. So, that's kind of what I got for recruiting. We'll talk, uh, I guess we'll talk receiver, DB, and D-line uh, next time. Oh, by the way, I, I do have one DB note. Jarvis Brownlee is, is corner that I'm very high on for Miami Carroll City. He's actually a Miami commit right now, but Florida State likes him a lot. I've actually hyped him up, I think, on this podcast since February. Florida State's now on him pretty hard. Now, you might think, God, why are they not on these kids earlier? Well, they were in contention for a lot of really elite kids earlier in the year, but then their season fell apart. So I don't want to make it seem like Florida State should have been on all these kids earlier. They have to reduce who they're, like, like reduce the quality of kid they're going after a little bit here because you actually have to sign some people. And they're not going to make they're not going to make all these like elite level out of state pulls for the most part when you go five and seven. You need to get some bodies in here. You need to do some good scouting. You need to find some kids who have a good attitude, who like to play football and who want to win. Just just to help the culture, right? Jarvis Brownlee told me he's actually working on setting up his visit to Florida State. I think it'll be on the 14th. We'll have to see on that, but that would be an excellent flip 
if they can get in for Miami. Fair enough, bud. Any uh, anywhere else, or you want to bring us up to speed on the recruiting game, or is that uh, pretty all encompassing? That's kind of kind of the new stuff I have going on right now. And uh, I think that's it. If you guys enjoy the show, you know, please give us five stars on iTunes. Very much appreciate that, and uh, tell your friends about it. We've grown again this year, and uh, just extremely excited about where the show's going. And uh, we've had a lot of y'all tell us on Twitter, "Hey, we, we love you guys." even during the uh, the bad season because you, you try to keep it real with us. And yes, we, we appreciate that. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time.